organic free-range HTML. Wild freshwater CSS. And 21-day matured JavaScript. This is not just a podcast. This is Smashing. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we're talking about Next.js. What is it and where might it fit into our web development workflow? We talked to co-creator Guillermo Rauch to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes a brand new article to the website five days a week? That's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. Mastering props and prop types in React. David Atenea looks in great detail at props and prop types as an important mechanism for passing information between React components. Learn how to pass information into components and access it using props, and how to validate that data with the use of prop types. In the final part of his Inspired Design Decisions article series, Andy Clark takes a look at the art of graphic design, explaining how studying the work of Bradbury Thompson, one of the masters of 20th century graphics, will teach you how to combine graphic and typographical elements with innovative layouts to create stunning designs for the web. Yes! Wolea Kamney takes a look at setting up an API using Flask, Google's Cloud SQL, and App Engine. Flask makes it possible for developers to build an API for whatever use case they might have. In this tutorial, learn how to set up Google Cloud, Cloud SQL, a fully managed platform as a service database engine, and App Engine, a platform as a service for hosting your applications to build an API with Flask. Oh, yeah! In Forms and Validation using Ionic React, Jerry Navi helps us learn how to build forms when working with Ionic React and how to make these forms interactive by adding validation rules and helpful text hints. Ionic Framework provides first-class support for building fast and mobile-optimized applications for any platform using React, and this article will help you get started. And in How to Help Your Clients Get More Backlinks Through Design, Suzanne Skacker takes a look at backlinks. If an authoritative website links to yours, it can significantly boost your ranking in Google search. And this is why backlinks are so sought after in marketing, and why web designers should have this on their radar as they're designing websites for clients. If you want to improve the level of marketing and optimization skill you're able to bring to a project, this article is an essential read. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com articles. He's the founder and CEO of Vercel, a cloud platform for static sites that fits around a Jamstack workflow. He's also the co-creator of Next.js. He previously founded LearnBoost and CloudUp, and is well known as the creator of several popular Node open source libraries like Socket.io, Mongoose, and Slackin. Prior to that, he was a core developer on MooTools. So we know he knows his way around JavaScript like the back of his hand. But did you know he once received a royal commission from the King of Spain to create an ice sculpture out of iceberg lettuce? My smashing friends, please welcome Guillermo Rauch. Hi, Guillermo. How are you? I'm smashing freaking good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you today about the whole world of Next.js, as it's something that obviously you're personally very knowledgeable about, having been involved as a co-creator right from the start. 
Uh, Next.js is one of those project names that has been on my radar while working within the Jamstack space, but it isn't something that I've actually personally looked at or worked with uh, too closely before. So for people who are like me, who perhaps aren't aware of what Next.js is, perhaps you could give us a bit of background into what it is and what problems it tries to solve. Yeah, Next.js is a very interesting uh, member of the Jamstack universe because Next.js actually started being a fully SSR-focused framework. So it kind of started gaining a lot of adoption sort of outside the Jamstack space where people were building very large things uh, specifically when they wanted to have user-generated content or dynamic content or social networks or e-commerce. And they knew that they wanted SSR because their data set was very large or very dynamic. So it kind of fell in, under the radar, I think, for a lot of people in the Jamstack world. But later on, Next.js gained the capabilities for static optimization. So on one hand, um, for example, if you wouldn't do data fetching at the top level of your page with Next.js, um, your React page would be, uh, and also, by the way, for those uh, who are not fully in the know, uh, Next.js is simply a React framework for production, but has this capability of doing server rendering. And then when you gain sort of static optimization uh, capabilities, um, if you wouldn't define data fetching at the top level of your page, it would it automatically export it as HTML instead of sort of, um, you know, trying to do anything with server rendering. And then later on, it also gained the capability for static site generation, meaning that you can define a special data hook, but that data hook gets data at build time. So Next.js kind of became a hybrid, very powerful sort of dynamic and static framework. And now it's been uh, growing a lot in the Jamstack space as well. So people might say that React is already a framework. Uh, you certainly hear it described that way. What does it actually mean to be a framework for React? Yeah, that's, that's a great observation, right? Because I always point out to people that React at Facebook and React outside of Facebook are completely different beasts. So React at Facebook actually is used together with server rendering, but even their server rendering, for example, doesn't use Node.js. It uses a highly specialized virtual machine called Hermes, which communicates to their sort of production hack and PHP stack and like answers all this advanced and sort of exotic Facebook needs. So when they open source it, React is like, it's almost like open sourcing a component. As I always call it like open sourcing the engine, but not giving it the car, right? And what happened is people really wanted to go and drive with it. You know, they wanted to get to places with React. So uh, in the community, people started creating cars, you know, like, and, and they would embed React as the engine, which was kind of what the driver, the developer was after in the, in the first place make React the, the fundamental part of the car. And things like Next.js and Gatsby and React Static and many other frameworks started appearing that were solving the need for like, I actually want to create fully loaded pages and applications. Whereas React was kind of more like the component and the engine for specific widgets within the page. This was certainly the case for Facebook, right? Like they will... Uh, you know, broadly and publicly admit that they invented it for things like the notification badge, the chat widget, the newsfeed component. And those components were React roots that were embedded into the context of a, you know, production existing app with lots and lots of lines of code and even other JS libraries and frameworks, right? So what it means to create a framework for React, it means you make React sort of the 
fundamental part of the story, hopefully, and this is something we'll try to do with Next.js, the learning curve is primarily about React with some added surface for Next.js, particularly around data fetching and routing. And we also do a lot of production optimizations. So when you get React, when you get Create React App, which is sort of like, a, I like to call it like a, a bootstrapped card that, that Facebook gives you, maybe you know the needs for production are not really met. Uh, or if you try to do it yourself by configuring Webpack and configuring Babel and configuring server rendering and static generation, it's also hard to put together a card from scratch. So Next.js would sort of give you this uh, zero config and also production optimized set of defaults around building entire big things with React. So it's like it almost puts a, a sort of ecosystem around your React app with collection of pre-configured tools to enable you Correct. to hit the ground running and, and do s- static site generation or server rendering or, or routing or... Correct. And you use the word there that is very, very key to all this, which is pre-configured, right? So we uh, were fortunate enough to draw the attention of Google Chrome as a contributor to Next.js. And one of the, one of the leaders of this project, uh, Shuby Panniker, her thing is that when they were working on frameworks internally at Google, they faced a lot of the same problems that the community and open source are facing today. So there were many different competing initiatives at Google on how to scale and make really performant web apps out of the box. So like you would join as a Googler and you would be given a framework with which you would create really big, production-ready, very high-performance applications. So Shubi was part of a lot of those initiatives. And what she found is that there are sort of two key ingredients to making a a framework succeed at scale. One is pre-configuration, meaning that you come to work, you're going to start a brand new app, you should be given something that is already ready to go and meets a lot of the production demands that are known at that given point in time. On the other hand, the other really important step that we're working towards is conformance. So you can be given the most highly optimized production-ready pre-configured framework, but if you go ahead and, for example, start introducing lots of heavy dependencies or third-party scripts or use very inefficient layouts that take a lot long time to paint and so on and so forth, then you're going to sort of, you know, make that pre-configuration sort of go to waste. So by mixing pre-configuration with conformance over time, the developer is not only having great starting point, but it's also guided to success over time. It seems that it's a, a characteristic of Next.js that it's quite opinionated. Um, you know, the, the UI layer is React. It uses TypeScript, uh, uses Webpack, and those are all sort of choices that the project has, has made, and that's what you get. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you couldn't swap out React for Vue, for example. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a good point where, like, you know, technical decision-making meets sort of an art, right? Yeah, on one hand, I, I really like to claim that Next is very unopinionated. And the reason for this is that if you specifically go to github.com slash yourself slash Next.js, um, in the examples directory, you'll see that there is a almost like a combinatoric explosion of technologies that you can use with together with Next.js. You'll see Firebase, you'll see GraphQL, you'll see Apollo, you'll see Redux, you'll see Mobex. In the CSS space, there's even more options. We have sort of a default CSS support uh, that's embedded, but then you can um, use two flavors of it, once with one with import, one with style tags. Uh, which we call style JSX. 
um, which resembles very much like the web platform approach to shadow CSS. So like we try to, and what I, the reason I mean an opinionated is we want Next.js to stay very close to the quote unquote bare metal of the web and not introduce lots of primitives that, you know, if the web from 10 years from today would be incompatible with. But then if you look at the examples, you'll see that like there's all these like other technologies that you can sort of plug in. So the base level of opinionation is that there is React and you're not going to be able to uh, replace it at least anytime soon. And then there is a concept of you should be able to create pages. And this is kind of like a new thing when we first launched it, right? Which was everyone is trying to create single page applications. And what we realized is like, look, the internet is made up of websites with lots of pages that create distinct entry points via search engines, via Twitter, via Facebook, via social networks, um, via you know email campaigns. Like you always kind of guide the person toward an entry point and that person that comes through that entry point shouldn't have to download the burden of the entirety of the application. So that that path led us to implementing server rendering, then static generation for multiple pages, et cetera, et cetera. So that other base level of opinionation is next should be a framework that works for the web, not against the web. And then on top of that, React is sort of missing data fetching and routing primitives, and we added those. So, so there's a level of opinionation that has to do with like, look, everybody needs a router, so might as well have a router built in by default. And the, the big advantage of having those defaults is it takes away a lot of the complexity of, of choice that it's just there, it's configured, and you can just start using it without needing to think too much. Because I think we've all exactly. been in situations where there are far too many choices of, of what components <laughs> to use, and it can be overwhelming and, and get in the way of being productive. Exactly. Um, what sort of projects uh, do you see people using Next.js for? Is it for basically any situation where you might build a production React app, or is it more suited to particular types of, you know, content-heavy sites? Or it, does it is it does it matter in that sense? Yeah. So th- th- this has been a, a, a age-old debate of the web: is the web for apps? Is the web for sites? Is it a hybrid? What is the role of JavaScript, et cetera, et cetera? So it's kind of hard to give a straight up answer, but my take on this is the web will sort of evolve always to be a hybrid of content that is kind of evolving to be more and more dynamic and personal to the user. So even when you say like a content website, like the sort of high-end content websites of the world, you know, have code bases that are very much comparable to apps. You know, they will, uh, a great example here is like New York Times, like, They'll, you know, give you embedded widgets with data analysis tools and interactive animation, and they'll recommend what story to read next. And they have a subscription model built in, which sometimes gives you part of the content, but sometimes counts how many articles you've read. So, like, if I told you this when, like, the web was invented, like, Tim Berners-Hill would be like, no, like, that's crazy. That's not possible on the web. But that's the web we have today, right? And um, so Next.js is sort of answering a lot of this kind of complex modern needs, which means like you'll see um, lots of e-commerce usage. You'll see lots of content with that. E-commerce meaning, by the way, not just like buy items, but experiences like 
real estate, uh, the, the largest real estate websites on the web, realtor.com, zillow.com, trulia.com, that entire category is all Next.js. Um, then content sites, um, we just onboarded uh, washingtonpost.com as a customer of Vercel in Next.js. Um, we have then kind of a third category that is more emergent, but very interesting, which is sort of like full apps and user-generated content like TikTok.com and um, kind of like you would think like the original single-page application use case as well being quite represented there. Uh, but Next.js sort of shines when you need to have lots of content that has to be served very, very quickly, has to be SEO optimized. And at the end of the day, it's a mix of dynamic and static. I've previously spoken to Marcy Sutton about Gatsby, uh, which seems to be in a, a similar sort of uh, space. Uh, it's always great to see more than one solution to a problem and, and having choice for one project to the next. Would you say that Next.js and Gatsby are operating in the same sort of problem space? And how similar or dissimilar are they? I think there's an overlap for some use cases. Uh, for example, my personal blog, uh, routechi.com, runs on Next.js. It could have just been a great Gatsby blog as well. Um, and there is sort of that overlap in like the smaller static websites sort of space. And by small, I don't mean like um, not relevant, right? Like uh, a lot of dot coms that are super, super important run on basically static websites. That's the beauty of Jamstack, in my opinion. And because Next.js can s statically optimize pa your pages and then you can get great Lighthouse scores with it, you can sort of use it for overlapping use cases. I think the line gets drawn when you start going into more dynamic needs and you have lots of pages, you have the need to update them at runtime. Although Gatsby is creating solutions for those, Next.js already has production-ready live solutions that work with any sort of database, any sort of data backend for basically, quote unquote, generating or printing lots and lots of pages. That's where today like customers are going to uh, Next.js instead of Gatsby. One of the problems that uh, everyone seems to, to run into as their um, sort of JavaScript-based solution gets bigger is, is performance and how things can start getting pretty slow. You have big bundle sizes. Um, traditionally, things like code splitting can be fairly complex to get configured correctly. Uh, I see that's one of the features it, that sort of jumped out at me of Next.js, that it claims that the code splitting is automatic. What does Next.js do in terms of code splitting to, to make that work? Yeah, your observation is 100% right. So one of the biggest things with the web and, and one of the biggest like weights on the web is JavaScript. And just like different uh, materials have different densities and, and weights, irre irrespective of the actual physical volume, JavaScript tends to be a very dense, heavy element. And uh, even small amounts of JavaScript compared to, like, for example, images that can be processed asynchronously and off the main thread, JavaScript tends to be particularly bothersome. So... Next.js has invested a tremendous amount of effort into automatically optimizing your bundles. So the first one that was kind of my first intuition when I first sort of came up with the idea for Next.js was, okay, you're going to define, for example, 10 routes. In the Next.js world, you create a pages directory and you drop your files in there, index.js, about.js, settings.js, dashboard.js, 
TermsOfService.js, you know, signup.js, login.js. Those become entry points to your application that you can share through all kinds of media. When you enter those, we want to give you JS that is relevant for that page first and foremost, and then perhaps a common bundle so that subsequent navigations within the system are very snappy. Next.js also, which is very, very nice, automatically prefetches the rest of the pages that are connected to that entry point such that it feels like a single page application. So a lot of people say like, why don't you just create React app if I know that I have maybe a couple routes? And I was telling them, well, look, you can define those as pages. And because Next.js will automatically prefetch once they are connected, you end up getting your single page application, but it's better optimized with regards to that initial paint, that initial entry point. So that was sort of the initial code splitting uh, approach, but then it became a lot more sophisticated over time. So Google contributed a very nice optimization called module and no module, which will give differential JS to modern browsers and sort of legacy JS that's heavy with polyfills to older browsers. And this optimization sort of 100% automated and produces massive savings. We give it to one of our customers that we host on Vercel called Barnaby's. I, if, I believe if I, I, I'm not um, mistaken, it was like, it was something very, very significant. It was like maybe like 30% savings in, in code sizes. And that was just because they upgraded Next.js to a version that optimized JS bundles better. And that was kind of the point that uh, we're sort of uh, going over earlier, which is like, you choose Next.js and it only gets better and more optimal over time. It'll continue to optimize things on your behalf. And those are, again, pre-configurations that you would never have to deal with or, or be bothered with. And the research of which you don't ever even want to do, to be honest. Like I wasn't obviously very involved with this, but I was like, like, like sort of uh, getting, uh, I, I look at some of the internal discussions and they were, you know, discussing all these polyfills that only matter to like Internet Explorer X and so, and like, I was like, oh, I don't want to, do, I don't even want to know. It's just, you know, upgrade Next.js and get all these benefits. There is sometimes uh, great benefits, aren't there, with sticking with the defaults and sticking with the the most common configuration of things, which seems to be really the Next.js approach. I mean, I remember when I started writing um, PHP back in the early 2000s, um, and everybody was using PHP and MySQL. And at the time, I'd just come from Windows, so I wanted to use PHP and Microsoft SQL Server. Um, and you can do it, but you're swimming against the tide the whole way. And then as soon as I just switched over to MySQL, uh, you know, the whole ecosystem just started working for me and I didn't need to... Yeah, everything just clicks. That, yeah. That's such a great observation. That, that's We see that all the time, right? Like the Babel ecosystem is so powerful now that you could become, for example, a little bit faster by swapping Babel for something else. But then you sort of trade off that incredible ecosystem compatibility. And this is something you touched on performance earlier and like, a lot of people, like for a lot of people, like built performance and sort of static generation performance is sort of a big bottleneck. And this is something that we, you know, we are very diligent in improving the performance of our tools incrementally. So, for example, one of the things that Next.js is doing now is that it's upgrading its default from Webpack 4 to Webpack 5, which has some breaking things. Uh, and that's why we sort of our first um, offering it to people as, a, as an opt-in flag, but later on it'll become the default. Webpack 5 makes incredible performance improvements, 
but you know we're not sacrificing the webpack ecosystem we incrementally improved and sure there were some things that you know it's very small things that needed to be sacrificed but that's uh, another sort of incredible benefit of the js ecosystem today that a lot of people are sort of glossing over i think because maybe they see oh like um we could have done x and so and uh, maybe it was a little faster or maybe the package um, maybe npm install would take less time or they pick up our, they pick up our sort of like some details and they miss the bigger picture which is like the ecosystem value is enormous and the the value of having uh the all the configuration and the maintenance and, and that side of it done by a project like Next.js rather than taking that on yourself by swapping to using something else is is incredible because as soon as you sort of move away from those defaults you're taking on the burden of keeping all the compatibilities going uh, and doing and doing it yourself um one of the things that i've been really interested in with Next.js is there are options available for either doing static site generation or server side rendering or maybe a hybrid of the two perhaps um I think there's been some recent changes uh, to this in a in a in a recent update. Can you tell us a little bit about that and sort of when you might choose one or the other? Yeah, for sure. So one of the key components uh, of this hybrid approach, and combined with the page system that I described earlier, is that you can have pages that are fully static or pages that server render. A page that's fully static has the incredible benefit of what I call static hoisting which is you can take that asset and automatically put it at the edge. And by putting it at the edge, I mean, you can cache it, you can preemptively cache it, you can replicate it. Um, you can make it so that when a request comes in, it never touches the server because we know ahead of time, hey, slash index is a static. So that's a very, very interesting benefit when it comes down to serving global audiences. You basically get an automatic CDN out of the box, especially when you deploy to modern um, edge networks like Vercel or AWS Amplify or Netlify and so on. So Next.js sort of has this premise of like, look, if it can be made static, it should be static. So when you're first starting a project and you're working on your first page or you're um, kicking the tires of the framework, might as well make everything static. Even for high-end needs, so for example, Vercel.com, our own usage of Next.js is fully static. It's a combination of fully static and static site generation. So all our marketing pages are static. Our blog is statically generated from a dynamic data source. Um, and then our dashboard, which is very has lots of dynamic data, but we can sort of deliver it as sort of shells or skeletons. All the pages associated with viewing your deployments, viewing your projects, viewing your logs, et cetera, et cetera, are all basically static pages with client-side JavaScript. And that serves us incredibly well because everything where we need a very fast first paint performance is already pre-rendered. Everything that needs SEO already pre-rendered and everything is extremely dynamic. We only have to worry about security, for example, from the perspective of the client side which uses the same API calls that, for example, our CLI use or our integrations use, et cetera, et cetera. So fully static website, very cheap to operate, incredibly scalable, and so on and so forth. Now, one particular thing that we needed with our blog was we wanted to update the data very quickly. So we wanted to like fix a typo very quickly and not wait for an entire build to happen. And this is a very significant benefit of Next.js that 
as you straddle from static to dynamic, it gives you sort of this in-between solutions as well. So for our blog, we use incremental static generation. So essentially, we can rebuild one page at a time when the underlying content changes. But imagine that we had not just you know a couple hundred blog posts and we had lots of blog posts being generated all the time and being updated all the time. Like I mentioned, one of our customers, Washington Post, in that case, you need to go more toward full SSR, especially as you start customizing the content for each user. So that journey of complexity that I just described started from like, I have one marketing page to I have a blog that has, you know, a couple thousand pages to I have tens of thousands or millions of pages. That's the next journey that you can, that you can traverse with your own business. And then you kind of start as a developer to choose between perhaps less responsibility to more responsibility because when you opt into using SSR, you're now kind of executing code on the server, you're executing code on the client, you have, there's a more responsibility with more power. So the fact that you can sort of decide where you use each kind of tool is, I think, a very, very interesting benefit of Next. Just in the practicalities of, of combining the uh, static site generation and server-side rendering, how, how does that work um, in terms of the, the server element? Are you needing a dedicated platform like Vercel to be able to achieve that? Or is that something that can be done um, more, more straightforwardly, more, more simply? Yeah, so, so Next.js gives you a, a dev server. So you run you Yarn add Next, you download Next, and you run Yarn uh, uh, Next Dev, and that's a dev server. The dev server is obviously incredibly optimized for development. Like it has the latest fast refresh technology that Facebook released where actually Facebook didn't release it. Facebook um, uses it internally to get the best and most performant and most reliable hot module replacement such that you're basically typing and the changes are reflecting on the screen. So that's a dev server. Then Next gives you a production server called Next Start. And Next Start has all the capabilities of the framework for self-hosting. But um, the interesting thing about Vercel is that when you deploy next to it, it gets automatically optimized and it's 100% serverless, meaning there's no responsibility whatsoever of administration, scaling, cache, um, caching and caching validation, purging, replication, global failover, and so on and so forth that you would have to take on when you run next start yourself. But that's kind of also the great benefit of Next.js, right? So, for example, Apple.com has several different properties, subdomains, and pages on .com on Next.js. They self-host uh, due to very, very advanced and stringent and security and sort of privacy needs. Um, on the other hand, WashingtonPost.com uses Vercel. So we kind of have this... Uh, sort of wide range of users, and we're extremely happy to support all of them. The nice thing about sort of where serverless is headed, in my opinion, is it can give you sort of best of both worlds in terms of the most optimal performance that only gets better over time um, with the best developer experience of like, hey, I don't have to worry about any sort of like infrastructure. Uh, Next.js is a, an open source project that's being developed by uh, the team at Vercel. Are there other contributors outside of um, outside of Vercel? Yeah, so Google Chrome being the main one um, that actively, actively sort of uh, submit PRs, review PRs, uh, help us with 
uh, you know, optimizations and testing it with partners like very large Next.js users that um, are already part of the Google ecosystem, for example, due to like um, using lots and lots of ads. So like they need to be involved uh, closely as, as partners. Um, Facebook, uh, we, we maintain a great relationship with the Facebook team. For example, Fast Refresh, we were the first um, framework to land, React framework to land it. And they help guide us through all the things that they learned of using React and Fast Refresh at Facebook. We work with lots of partners that use uh, have like very large deployments of Next.js apps in the wild um, from all kinds of different sort of use cases, like I mentioned, like e-commerce and, and content. And and then there's just lots and lots of independent contributors, people that um, use Next.js sort of personally, but also like educators and um, members of front infrastructure teams at large companies. It's, it's a very, very wide uh, community effort. So it sounds like the, the concern that somebody might have that this is being developed, you know, uh, in a significant part by the cell, that they might have the concern that they're going to get sort of locked into deploying on, on that particular platform. But it sounds very much like that's not the case at all. And they could develop a, a site and deploy it on Firebase or Netlify or something. Yeah, absolutely. I like, to, I like to compare it a lot for like the Kubernetes of the front end age in a way, because um, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a firm believer that... So Kubernetes is something that pretty much almost everyone needs when they need to run Linux processes. Like that, the like you, you were talking about opinionation and anything. Uh, it's a good technology. It's like very much not opinionated, but there is some opinionation that you, we kind of forget about. It's like at the end of the day, like it grew out of running a specific demons of Linux programs packaged as containers. Next is in a similar position because the we what do we take for um, being the universal primitive of the world is a React component. Obviously, it's opinionated, but we do think that for lots of enterprises just like they all gravitate towards Linux, we are kind of seeing the same thing towards React and Vue, but Vue luckily has Nuxt, which is kind of a very awesome solution. It's equivalent in, in, in ideation and principles as Next. So we're kind of gravitating towards these platforms like Next.js, like Nuxt, like Sapper for the Svelte ecosystem. And I think this should be open platforms, right? Because again, if everybody's going to need this, might as well not reinvent the wheel across the entire industry, right? So we very much uh, welcome that position. We welcome people to deploy it and reconfigure it and rebuild it and redistribute it and so on. So just recently, a new version of Next.js was released, uh, I think version 9.5. What significant changes were there in that release? The most awesome one is, uh, as I was saying um, earlier, a lot of things that start static and then become more dynamic, right? As things grow. This was even true for WordPress, by the way. WordPress uh, in the beginning was based on like a static uh, file database approach and then grew into needing a database, kind of like what you described with uh, how PHP evolved to gain more and more MySQL. What's nice about Next.js 9.5 is that it um, makes incremental static uh, generation a production-ready feature. So we took it out of the unstable flag. And so this feature allows you to make that journey from static to dynamic without giving up on all the static benefits. 
and without having to go full, full sort of server rendered dynamic. So it kind of stretches the, the useful lifetime of your sort of static. And uh, the way we use it at Vercel, for example, as I mentioned, is like our blog gets fully pre-rendered at build time. But then, for example, we're actually about in, in a couple minutes, um, we're about to make a major announcement. And when we blog about it, we want to be able to like tweak it, fix it, preview it, et cetera, without having to issue a, you know, five to 10 minute build every time we change one letter of one blog post. So with incremental static generation, you can rebuild one page at a time. And what it could take minutes or even seconds, depending on how big your site is, now it takes milliseconds. And again, you didn't have to give up on any of the benefits of static. So that's perhaps the thing I'm most excited about that went stable on Next.js 9.5, specifically because the JS community and the React community and the framework community and static site generator community have been talking about this like unicorn of making a static incremental for a long time. So that fact that the Next.js did it, it's being used in production and it's it's there for everybody to use. I think it's a major, major, major milestone. Um, there's lots of uh, little DX benefits. Um, one that's really nice, in my opinion, is Next.js, as I said, has a very, um, as it has a page system. So we, you would argue, okay, so if I, let's say that I'm uber.com and I need to migrate to Next.js or I've decided to migrate to Next.js, do I need to migrate every URL inside Uber.com to Next.js to, in order to go live? So this has become a pretty uh, important concern for us because lots of people choose Next.js, but they already are running big things. So how do we reconcile the two? So one of the things that Next.js allows you to do in 9.5 is you can say, I want to handle all new pages that I created with Next.js with Next.js, and the rest I want to hand off to a legacy system. So that allows you incremental, incremental is the keyword here today, incremental adoption of Next.js. So you can sort of begin to strangle your legacy application with your Next.js optimized application one page at a time. When you deploy and you introduce a new Next.js page, it gets handled by Next. If it doesn't match the Next.js routing system, it goes to the legacy system. That sounds incredibly powerful. And the, the sort of incremental rendering uh, sort of piece of that, I can think of several projects immediately that would really benefit that have maybe 30-minute build times for, for fixing a typo, as you say. So that, that sort of technology yeah, is a, we a talked big to, change. We talked to one of the largest, I believe, use cases of Jamstack in the wild. And, and it was a, basically a documentation website. And their build times were 40 minutes. So we're doing a lot in this space, by the way, like we're making pre-rendering a lot faster as well. Um, one of my intuitions for years to come is that as platforms get better, as the primitives get better, as the build pipelines get better, we're going to continue to extend the useful lifetime of static. So like what ended up taking 40 minutes is going to take, you know, four. A great example is... Um, we're rolling out a um, incremental build cache as well system. I, I sort of pre-announced it on Twitter the other day. We're already seeing 5.5 times faster incremental builds. So 
one of the things that I like about Jamstack is that the uh, the core tenant is pre-rendered as much as possible. And I do think that's extremely valuable because when you're pre-rendering, you're not rendering just in time at runtime, right? So like what otherwise the visitor would sort of incur in, in terms of rendering costs on the server gets transferred to build time. So one of the most exciting things uh, that's coming to next is that without you doing anything as well, the build process is also getting faster. Uh, on the Vercel side, we're also taking advantage of some new cloud technology to make pre-rendering a lot faster as well. So I think we're always going to live in this hybrid world, but as technology gets better, build times will get better, pre-rendering will get better and faster, and then you'll have more and more opportunities to do kind of a mix of the two. Sounds like there's some really exciting things coming in the future for Next.js. Um, is there anything else we should know before we sort of go away and get started working with Next.js? Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of people for whom this is new, um, you can go to nextjs.org slash learn. Uh, it'll walk you through building your sort of first small uh, static site with Next.js. And then it'll walk you through the journey of adding more and more complexity over time. So it's a really fun tutorial. Um, I recommend um, also staying tuned for our announcement that I was sort of just um, starting to, to share on uh, twitter.com slash Vercel, where we share a lot of Next.js news. Uh, specifically, we highlight a lot of the work uh, that's being done on our open source projects and, and our community projects and so on. And for myself as well, twitter.com slash G if you want to stay on top of uh, our thoughts in the ecosystem. So I've been learning all about Next.js today. What have you been learning about lately, Guillermo? As a random uh, tangent that I've been learning about is I decided to sort of study more um, economics. So I've been really uh, concerned with sort of like what are the next, um, what is the next big thing that's coming in terms of like enabling people at scale to to live better lives? Um and I think we're going through a transition period, especially in the U.S., of noticing that a lot of the institutions that people were, quote-unquote, banking on, like the education system, like the healthcare system, a lot of those, like um, like where you live and, and uh, whether you're going to own a house or rent and, and things like that, a lot of these things are changing. They have changed very rapidly, and, and people have lost their sort of compass. Uh, and things like, oh, should I go to college? Should I get a, a get a student loan and things like that? And and um, there is a case to be made for, um, you know, capitalism 3.0. And there is a case to be made for uh, next level of evolutionary social and, and economic systems. And I've been just trying to expand my horizons and learning a lot more about what could be next. No pun intended. And and, and you know, there's there's. I've found there's lots of great materials and lots of great books. And, and uh, there's a, uh, like a lot of people have been thinking about this problem and there's uh, sort of lots of interesting solutions in the making. That's fascinating. If you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Gilmo, you can find him on Twitter at RouchG. And you can find more about Next.js and keep up to date with everything that goes on in that space at nextjs.org. Thanks for joining us today, Gilmo. Do you have any parting words? No, thank you for having me. This is Smashing. 
And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at Smashing Mag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. Oh, 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 oh,